two things, brethren. I know what time it is, and I know I don't keep my word very often. But I'll try to tonight. We just sang faith of our fathers that we would be true till death. We're called Calvinists by many because of our relationship to the doctrines of grace, as they're called, that explain that God is sovereign in the salvation of sinners. But I want to tell you that we're not Calvinists, because if we were in Geneva, Switzerland, when John Calvin was the head of that city, he'd burn us at the stake as quickly as he did Michael Servetus for believing that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God. And for you brothers who know that Walter Martin's book, The Kingdom of the Cults, is probably the best book to read in the cults, you will not enjoy reading his section on the Unitarians, where he puts down Michael Servetus as one of the founders of Unitarianism. He must have written that before he came to a knowledge of the truth about the sonship of Jesus in the section on Jehovah's Witnesses. Because Michael Servetus believed, as we do, about the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as we know and what we're able to read about him, and he died at the hands of a Calvinist, burned at the stake, because he believed that Jesus was the Son of the Eternal God rather than Jesus was the Eternal Son of God. Now that's a small distinction, isn't it? But that's a big difference. And I remember the first time I heard that difference from Bruce Taylor, and I didn't appreciate it, but I do now, and he knows I do now. And I appreciate Bruce's boldness at coming up to me in the that theater in Farmington, Michigan, and saying, did you know that there were two Christs, one eternally generated and one born of the Virgin? And I didn't know what he was talking about, but he'd caused trouble before in my life that, that worked to my profit, and so did this. And he knows what I mean by that, and so do all of you, about the first Bible study I went to where he was present. But I'm thankful for that doctrine. And the reason I said all of that was, would you be willing to die for it? If they said, if you will not confess that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, then you're going to have to go to the stake. And would you go as Michael Servetus, who said, O Lord Jesus, thou Son of the eternal God, have mercy on me. And he laid down his life. I'm thankful for examples like that. We have laid out that Jesus is Jehovah God by his name. And I have given you four easy rules to follow that can make it easy for you to defend the doctrine of Jesus Christ's full deity. Rule number one, we only use the King James Bible. Rule number two, there is only one God. Rule number three, we believe in the Trinity and see it from Genesis to Revelation. Number four... We do not debate or discuss the subject of Jesus Christ with someone who believes in the eternal sonship. You must go back and convert them on the sonship of Jesus Christ. Do not debate, discuss the deity of Christ unless you're doing it from a King James Bible. There is only one God. The Trinity is a Bible doctrine, and Jesus is the Son of God by his virgin birth. If you'll hold those four you will cut off all their avenues of argumentation. It's going to be difficult to get anyone to agree to those four. You're going to be converting them in order to get them to agree to those four. But it will save you from entering into a hopeless discussion with someone 
where you can't win and you don't accomplish anything to the glory of Christ. Because he would say, don't cast your pearls before those swine, nor give them your bread. They'll turn and rend you with it, and they'll trample the good things under their feet anyway. Start with the Bible issue, and then go to the one God issue. Because then from one God, there is only one God in the earth, in in heaven above, and he's Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. Tonight we have a few minutes. Let's look at a few proofs. We haven't even started, but we already know that Jesus Christ is indeed Jehovah God. Amen. We already know it from his name, and we know it by looking at the few examples that I used today to show you those four rules that you better follow. I am trying to teach all of this congregation, from the children to the brothers in here that know the doctrine, that you can have some simple rules to follow to save yourself from being defeated by a Russellite. They spend their lives learning how to refute Bible believers because the average Bible believer in our country anymore doesn't know their Bible. They know they can go to a door, knock on that door, and ask a person a few questions and find that that man does not know his Bible. But if you will immediately cut them off on the Scriptures... There is one God. The doctrine of the Trinity stands because of the scriptures we're using. He's three persons in one God. And the sonship of Jesus Christ comes from the virgin birth. You've got them. They don't have any arguments left. Very few. And I want to give you the rest right now. Let's look at a few examples, and then we're going to go home loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And you can pick your favorites. I've got these lined up sort of in line of my most favorite to least favorite, but that's hard. And I've got a lot of them, but I'm only going to give you a few tonight. Is Jesus fully God? Satan is out to demote him from being fully Jehovah God, and so are all the cults. Is he? Yes, he is. We believe that with all our hearts, because God has given us an understanding. I can read that in the epistles of John. He has given us an understanding that we might know him that is true, even his son, Jesus Christ. What does it say next? This is the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5.20. But let's go to Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As early as the Old Testament, 600 B.C., before our Lord Jesus Christ, the prophecy came down, the Lord was going to give a sign, a virgin would conceive. That's inconceivable. But not with God. All things are possible with God. And so we come over to Matthew chapter 1 to see the fulfillment of this prophecy. Was this indeed speaking of Jesus Christ? Of course it was, because it mentions the virgin birth. Matthew chapter 1. But let's see even more plainly. In verse 22, as Matthew explains what is happening, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Are you glad that Matthew one twenty-three does not end there? 
I'm not going to turn you to a Bible dictionary. I'm not going to turn you to the treasury of Scripture knowledge. I'm going to turn you to the Word of God who wants to interpret that Word for us so that no one can deceive you. Amen. Jesus, born of a virgin, would be called Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Amen. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God was here in this world, Amen. in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let them believe whatever they wish. Isaiah 7.14 and Matthew 1.23, God with us. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. You say to me, these are so simple. Why are there so many millions deceived? Let's make sure we're grounded and our children know it. Amen. One of these, one of those little heroes that was up here a little while ago, after he laid some verses on me, it was the little Taylor hero. I said, is Jesus God? Yes, he is. He's sitting right there. I love to hear that. Yes. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Unto us a child is born and a son is given, and his name shall be called the Mighty God. Amen. The Mighty God and the Everlasting Father. Now, how can the Son be called the Everlasting Father? Because in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When Jesus said, I and my Father are one, that didn't mean they agreed. That meant they both had the same nature. We are one. Is this simple? Amen. Do you think the New World Translation is going to call the child born and the Son given the mighty God? You're right. They've got to change the Word of God to fit their doctrine. Isn't that horrible? To go into the Bible and change verses like that? The mighty God. Not a mighty God. The mighty God. They want it to be a mighty God. They take out that little article there, the word the, and leave mighty God, and they explain it's just a mighty God. He is the mighty God, and listen, if that isn't good enough, He's also the everlasting Father. Now, how do you get around that? I don't read that argument very often. We believe that in a different way than everyone else because of our proper understanding of the sonship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is also the everlasting Father because He participates in the nature of the Father. Right. It's glorious. You can't get around that one. He is also the Father in His nature. Amen. Isn't that glorious? Amen. Our children need to know this. Is Jesus God? Absolutely, completely, fully, Amen. always. Let's turn to 1 John 5, 7. 
1 John 5, 7. As our theological world gets more and more liberal, more, few, more, fewer and fewer believe what you believe and are hearing right now. Right. I know you think that everybody believes that Jesus is fully God, but you haven't been out there looking around and reading what they believe. Because Satan is out to make war against that fundamental, basic, foundational doctrine of the Word of God because God receives His glory as we worship Him through the person, the man, Christ Jesus. He has put everything into the Lord Jesus Christ and has exalted Him at His own right hand and wants us to worship Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they want to detract from that. Satan wants to detract from that glory. And so he's constantly trying to undermine the person of Jesus Christ. But He is Jehovah God. And someday when you see Him on that white horse that we saw this morning, and I love the fact that a sister said to me at lunch today, I wish we could have stopped at Revelation 19 and read it again. Wasn't it glorious to have that picture, that word picture that God's given us of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? And do you know what Brother Eric read tonight from Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 4, about treading the wine pre- in the wine vat of the Almighty God, and who was doing the treading? Well, it was the Lord God Jehovah in Isaiah, according to a Jehovah's Witness. But when we get to Revelation 19, who is it? It's the Word of God on His white horse, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Because there's only one God that can tread that wine press. Right, right. And it was the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ because He is Almighty God. Amen. He is the mighty God. First John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. How are they one? They're one in nature. They're one in their Godhead. They are one in eternal. They're one infinitely in all the perfections of God. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost are all three one in the in their nature, in their deity, in their Godhead. I want to use God, God's words. Right. In their Godhead. Well, who is this Word of God? Without leaving the book of 1 John, let's just go over to chapter 1, verse 1. Amen. Let's not leave this epistle right here. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Without ever leaving the book of the first epistle of John, we have it right there. Can Jehovah God be seen? Be be cold. Slow down. Can Jehovah God be seen? No. Can Jesus Christ be seen? Is Jesus Christ Jehovah God? Yes. Because Jesus Christ is a complex person. He has a human nature that gives him a body that we can see. And joined with that human body that we can see is the word of God indwelling him and united to him in the glorious mystery of of the incarnation of God in the flesh. And therefore you can see, you can handle, you can hear, and you can look upon him. You cannot look upon Jehovah God. He is an eternal spirit that is invisible to man and dwells in the darkness that no man can see or in a light that no man can approach unto. But in the person of Jesus Christ, we see him all in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's one with the Father. There's only one God. 
the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost are three persons of one God, and that one God was in the Word of Life because He was that second person, the Word, and He became flesh, and He was right there being touched and held and looked upon by men. Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. He is the Word of God that is one with the Father and with the Holy Ghost. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. That was a little harder to follow than the first two, but I stuck at number three because I like to use 1 John 5, 7, because everyone else wants to say it doesn't belong in the Bible. So I like to use it because I believe it belongs there and because God's blessed it for 400 years and all the English Bibles that went before this one. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, does that sound like the Word was God? Amen. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Does it sound like we're talking about God? Could we call Him Jehovah God? We have to call Him Jehovah God because there's only one God. But we come down to verse 14, and it says, And the Word that is, the Word that was God, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. This fits so well with the first epistle of John because the same man wrote both, and the Lord used him to write both. But I want to tell you something. In the New World Translation, do you think it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Nope. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And then it comes down to verse 18. It says, no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten God. You going to use their Bible? Use your King James Bible. Children, this is number four. Jesus is God. He was the Word of God before He joined Himself to a human nature and a human body in the birth from Mary. 1 Timothy 3.16. We were there this morning, but you're going to look at it again, please. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Oh, these are simple. Some of you say... But don't forget that we have children, women, and younger ones in this congregation that need to know these things. We cannot be moved away from this doctrine. 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That is, that's a one minister to another, and that's a great minister to another great minister. That's Paul to Timothy, and what a glorious statement it is. What word did they alter in this verse? Do you all remember that from this morning? They take out the word God, that noun God, and stick in a pronoun he. You don't know who they're talking about. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh. Well, he, what do you mean, Gabriel? God was manifest in the flesh. That's why, whenever you see us worrying and contending for the integrity of single words, this is why. That change is not by accident. That change is not because a fly got in the ink 
and walked across the page and changed a word. That's because Satan was the fly in the ointment and changed the word to detract from the Lord Jesus Christ. And men have followed him because they're willing to follow him. God was manifest in the flesh. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Colossians 2, 9. Well, these are so simple. How could anyone not believe that Jesus is God? Well, I'm glad you think that way. It is simple. It is simple. But men have done their best. And if you were to run into a sharp Russellite, you better know the four rules I gave you and you better remember some of these verses. Pick your favorites that you like to bet. The Lord gives every man his own favorites. The ones that you love and that you know in your heart, that means the Spirit of God is speaking to you with His Word that way, in that place, by that writer. You hold on to that one and you use it. You don't have to use mine. I have my favorites. You use the ones that God speaks to you and that you love mightily and that bless you and lift up your heart. That is how we understand the Spirit of God directing us in His Word. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 For in Him, that's a pronoun. Where's the antecedent for this pronoun? The last word of the previous verse, Christ. For in Him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Is Is that a great text to have? It doesn't just say, For in Him dwelleth the Godhead bodily. The Lord wants to make sure you get this message. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Can you hang on that one? Would you literally hang on that one? He says he he knows that I know he would. Would you hang on that verse? I hope you would. I hope you'd hang on 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. And by hang, I mean Michael Servetus at the stake. Colossians 2.9, could it be stated any more powerfully? In Christ Jesus is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We should be able to close the books and start singing. But he gave us more. Turn to John chapter 14. Turn to John chapter 14. Is Jesus Christ God? No wonder the Apostle Paul could say, if any man doesn't love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. Because he's Jehovah God in the flesh. What an incredible, incredible, glorious mystery and blessing to have God in this world for 33 and a half years in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Do you all know this one? What's Jesus going to say? Someday you'll get to see the Father, but Jehovah God's in heaven, and you can't see him for a while. What did Jesus say when a man said, show us the Father? Would the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Father is Jehovah God? Yes. Philip said, show us Jehovah God. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, 
And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Do you love that? Yes. Yes. I don't even know what to say to that. The Lord Jesus said it pretty well. Amen. Have I been so long time with you? You still want to see the Father? You've seen me. You have seen the Father. Because Jesus was Jehovah God. And in his divine nature that Jesus Christ possessed, he was the Father. Right. Isn't that beautiful? John eight fifty eight. Would your heart burn within you if you had an answer like that? Now, I read when Jesus Christ opened the Scriptures to men, their hearts would burn within them. Can you imagine being Philip and asking that question? And having Je- Is that a quick answer? Is it a kind answer? And yet, does it get the message across very powerfully? It's a, wouldn't your heart burn within you? And wouldn't you be ashamed that you'd ever asked that question? But you'd be thankful that the Lord had shown you the truth. Right. John chapter 8, verse 58 Verse 56, let's get it all. Let's get what's good here. It's all good. Verse 56, your father Abraham, that these Jews so took so much confidence in, Jesus is referring to Abraham because they were trusting that because Abraham was their father, that they were certainly God's children. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Amen. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily. I wonder why that's there. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. Oh, that is powerful, isn't it? It's not bef- now, children, Jesus didn't say. Do you all understand that? Abraham lived 1,500 years before Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see it. The Jews said, how in the world could Abraham have seen your day? You're not even 50 years old and he lived 1,500 years ago. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. What, would, what did he mean by that? Because I am that I am. I am Jehovah God. I created Abraham. And he saw my day and rejoiced in it. How in the world do they believe that Jesus isn't God? Isn't that incredible? What kind of work has been done by a powerful spirit to overthrow the word of God in so many lives and hearts and denominations, cults, religions, and churches? That's why I'm preaching it to you. It's not going to happen here by the grace of God. We're going to contend earnestly for this faith. And we're going to fight every inroad that anyone tries to make to take away from this gospel. It's simple. Isn't that simple? It's glorious, though. Before Abraham was, I am. Couldn't you just repeat those words? Don't you just want to pull those and polish them and look at them and hold it up to the light? Before Abraham was, I am. 
That's a jewel, brethren. That's a jewel. I want to turn it every way and see every facet of that diamond. You're not even 50. If you'd have been a child of God there and you'd have heard those words coming from his mouth, I just want to remind you, when Jesus Christ spoke, the graciousness with which he spoke, look at that answer. I am. And when Jesus said, I am, you didn't doubt it. As some soldiers found out in John chapter 18. Okay, Brother Newell, it's time for your favorite. I almost want to let you get up here and lay it on everyone because I know it's just burning you up right now. Turn to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45. Brother Newell's used this with a Russellite before. Oh, they hate that name, by the way. They hate that name, but if it hadn't been for Charles Taze Russell, they wouldn't have anything today. He started it all, so they've got to take responsibility for him. Their little religion's only a 100 years old. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, we read this morning. Let's read it again. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. And they're saying amen as we read that verse. But let's read the next verse. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. I am the Lord, I am God, and there is none else, and every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall swear to me. But what do we read in Philippians chapter 2? As Newell would have us want to say, what is the name of this God? What is the name of this God? Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, their amens just got painful. Painful. Do you know that that's a Bible method? That's from Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Do you know how many amens Stephen got for his sermon in Acts chapter 7? That crowd was going wild. He had Jews out of their chairs, tearing off their robes, lifting their hands to heaven. As Stephen preaches the history of Israel, and then he comes to his altar call. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. But all the way to that point, if you go look in Acts chapter 7, he said things that Jews would just get excited about. He's lifting up their nation and God's dealings with their nation. And if you can set someone up, and what it means to set someone up is they are inching their way out a limb that's getting thinner and thinner and thinner, then, unbeknownst to them, you pull out from under your jacket a chainsaw called the King James Bible. And you read verse 23, and then you go to Philippians chapter 2, and you saw the limb off. And hopefully, if they're God's children and they have a proper heart, they fall into the net of truth, and they love you for it. That's where you want to get them. 
take them to Isaiah 45, 22, and where the Lord says, I am God and there is none else, they would say, Amen, that is obviously Jehovah God, and that God says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, that word is not going to return to me void, it will happen, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, and we find it fulfilled in Philippians chapter 2, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Jehovah God. Thank you, Lord. We're simple little people, but we can see the truth. He's shown it to us. Amen. And what a glorious Bible we have. Amen. How about Revelation chapter 1? Revelation chapter 1. Brother Eric, you be getting ready to sing Thou Art Worthy, because we're going to sing it. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Obviously, to them and to us, verse 8 is Jehovah God. Right. Verse 17. Now who do we see? He's in verse 13. He's the Son of Man. The Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot in verse 13. We come to verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Now, unless you want to have two firsts and two lasts, Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is God Almighty. Jesus is El Shaddai. Jesus is Jehovah God. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. And then we come to verse 17, I am the first and the last. Well, you can't have two firsts and lasts. We're talking about Jehovah God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn back a few pages to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. If you're enjoying this one-tenth of how much I am, you're enjoying it. Amen. Titus chapter 1, verse 3. You say, I didn't know there was a proof in Titus chapter 1. Well, let's read it. Let's get, well, let's read verse 3. But hath in due time, speaking of God that cannot lie from verse 2, hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. How many saviors are there? There's only one. How many gods are there? There is only one. He was commissioned to preach by the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was given the name of Jehoshua, which is Jehovah is salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's one Savior. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Jehovah God. The verse says that this minister, Paul, was preaching the gospel and had the gospel committed to him according to the commandment of God our Savior, and God our Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because there is only one Savior. There is only one God. You say, well, it's everywhere. You're showing us... Yes, it is. Amen. It's the great message of God's Word right. that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is God in the flesh. Unbelievable. A mystery. But we do believe it. Because he's given us faith to believe it. 
And it's his gift. John 20, please. John 20. John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas was with, was with them. Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Amen. Jesus isn't God. May I remind you that they don't want there to be a hell. And they know that if Jesus Christ is God, they're in the bottom of it. John 5.18. John 5.18. Let's get 17. Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? There's a conclusion being drawn from what Jesus said in verse 17. Therefore, because of what Jesus said in verse 17, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Amen. Wow! You mean that every time Jesus called the Father his Father, that made him equal with God? Yes, it does. Well, how does calling God his Father make him equal with God? Because of Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He shall be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. By claiming to be the Son of God, according to the prophecy of Isaiah 9, 6, he was making himself God. The Jews understood that because they knew the prophecies about their Messiah. And so they tried to kill him because Jesus Christ was himself claiming to be God. And to be equal to God by claiming to be the Son of God that had been prophesied that would be the mighty God, the everlasting Father. The Jews understood it and they tried to kill him. It's too bad that Jehovah's Witnesses can't read the same verse 17 and come to the same scriptural conclusion that the Jews did. They understood. One more, brethren. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Oh, there's some great... Well... These are, the, they're, they're all great. Amen. They're all great. I love it when over in Hebrews chapter 1 it says of the, of the Son, it says, let all the angels of God worship Him. Amen. Well, who, just who do you think angels worship? Anyone they feel like? I can take you to the Old Testament, Nehemiah 9, 6, where the host of heaven worshipeth thee. And there they are worshiping Jesus Christ. Wouldn't thee be very jealous? if they were worshiping someone else? Right. Because he will not give his worship or glory to another, will he? Yeah. Right. 
They must be worshiping him through the man, Christ Jesus, as we're supposed to. But that's not this one. That was another one. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, the last one I'll give you tonight. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, but it looks like it's describing two beings there. Oh, no, it isn't. It's describing one because it says the appearing of our great God. Would you tell me how Jehovah God appears? In our Savior, Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. I hope you love Him. I hope you love the doctrine that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus is Jehovah God, and that you'll never, ever let that doctrine be attacked or that you'll ever consider leaving it, but that you'll earnestly contend for it. And if Jesus Christ is Lord, as every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow before Him, let us make Him Lord of our lives by owning Him as Lord of our speech, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our entertainments, our priorities, our music, our magazines, our reading, our activities, our time, our money, our emotions, our everything. Let Jesus Christ be Lord, and let's honor Him and magnify Him with our works, because He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Brother Eric, let's sing. Brethren, stand and let's sing, Thou art worthy.